Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but we would love to meet you in person. All are welcome, and that includes you. So if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service at the corner of Arthur Ashe Boulevard and Grove in the historic synagogue across from the art museum. Can't make it in person? No problem. We are also live streaming on YouTube. Contact our administrator at tikvatdirector at gmail.com for the link during the week or contact us on our website tikvatisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. This weekend, the wider body of Messiah will celebrate the birth of Yeshua the Messiah. And some of us here and our family members will join them. And I believe that is a good thing, because the most famous Jew who ever lived Yeshua is celebrated among the nations as king and God with us, a vulnerable baby who is Messiah over all. And it got me thinking of this question. What is the most Jewish Christmas song? Have you ever thought about this? Would it be a Christmas song written by a Jew? Maybe that's a good place to start. If so, you've got many to choose from. This is from the Times of Israel. Quote, Anyone who ventures outside during the holiday season is likely familiar with the classic song, White Christmas, which plays on the radio in movies and concerts and almost nonstop in shopping malls. Bing Crosby's version, first recorded in 1942, is the best-selling single of all time. In a testament to the diversity of the United States, it turns out that this Christmas mainstay was written by the legendary Jewish-American songwriter Irving Berlin. Remarkably, Berlin could not read music until probably his late 30s, Kaplan said. This is a person that's an expert in the article. He couldn't read music. He couldn't write music. Instead, Berlin would hum a melody or tap a finger on the piano, and an assistant or musical secretary translated this into something harmonized and organized, with Berlin pointing out any errors requiring correction. Nobody else ever wrote like that, Kaplan said, but it worked because Berlin turned out to have this divine gift for melody that came out of nowhere. Berlin was well aware of his gift. About White Christmas, he legendarily said, legendarily, I'm not saying he said this, but legendarily he said this, not only is it the best song I ever wrote, it's the best song anybody ever wrote. (laughs) Unquote. It's believed that Irving Berlin did indeed have a divine gift for songwriting. And the article says that he was deeply rooted in the repetition and melodies of Jewish liturgy. But what was this divine gift used for? creating popular songs for entertainment. His melodies are incredibly catchy and relatable. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. A highly gifted Jewish songwriter. And what is he calling attention to about Christmas? Snow. He's elevating crystallized water molecules. That's what he used his gift for. It's kind of sad. 
So it was written by a Jewish man, but does this make White Christmas the most Jewish Christmas song? No, because it leaves out the most Jewish element, Yeshua. In this week's Torah portion, we are at the climax of the Joseph story. Throughout the story, we are told that Joseph has a divine gift, much like Irving Berlin. But in this case, God refines Joseph over time through what he suffers in order to use his gift for good. He learns and matures over time, and how he relates to his gift changes. It doesn't just stay where it is when he's young. So Joseph's gift is what? Do we know what it is? He was a dreamer, and he was an interpreter of dreams. So for the first dream, I was able to actually define the original social media post by Joseph. So let's take a look at that. This is uh, Joseph. You can see his profile picture that he has chosen of his brothers shoving him down some sort of well. And his sign is at fave son of Jacob. This is what he says. Just told my fam, please listen to this dream I dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the middle of a field. All of a sudden, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Dad and brothers were not pumped for me. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag dreamers gonna dream, haters gonna hate. And apparently this was at midnight, January 1st, 2022 BCE. And it's got a lot of retweets there. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm surprised I was able to dig that up. So this is actually a quote from Genesis 37. Joseph had a gift for dreaming, but he just went to the Twitter of his day, his family, and he told them all about his amazing dreams that would benefit him someday. The Bible does not supply motive here. It just tells us often just what happened. However, we can surmise that this was probably not the best move for Joseph as it angered his brothers even more. Maybe Joseph had some pride or selfish ambition which led him to share this gift in this way. We can compare this to more seasoned folks, and this is just from a few verses later about his father Jacob in Genesis 37, verse 11. So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the speech in mind. He processed it with the Lord. He kept it in mind. This reminds us also of how Mary, also known as Miriam, responded to the news that the Savior would be born through her. She kept it in mind. She didn't go on Twitter and blast and tell everybody, oh, this amazing thing is going to happen to me. She kept the matter in mind. This is the center of what I would consider an authentic Jewish Christmas story. And suddenly a multitude of heavenly armies appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth shalom to men of goodwill. And when the angels departed from them into the heavens, the shepherds were saying to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which Adonai has made known to us. So they hurried off and found Miriam, Mary, and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the word that had been spoken to them concerning this child. And all those who heard were amazed at the things that the shepherds told them. But Miriam, what does it say? Treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Isn't that what Jacob did? But it's not what Joseph did, at least in this point in his life. How Mary and Jacob treat these prophetic utterances, these divine gifts, is a clue for all of us. Before telling everyone and their mother, 
or trying to get some benefit out of the vision, what should we do? We should process it with the Lord, process it in our heart with the Lord. And perhaps we can process it with someone that we trust. Share it at the right time with the right folks. This is because the dream or vision is not for our benefit only. But what is it? It's for the benefit of others. Joseph, I think, gradually learns this lesson about his divine gift. Joseph's second dream encounter goes a little bit better. While he is in prison wrongfully accused, he correctly interprets the dreams of two different servants of the Pharaoh. He says this to the cupbearer in Genesis 40. But if you remember me, that I was with you, when it goes well with you, please show me kindness and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was forcibly kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing at all that they should put me in this pit. So he interprets the dream to encourage the guy, but then he also puts in a little good word for himself. Hey, when you get back up to Pharaoh, when you're restored, just, uh, you know, don't forget about me. But what happens? He forgets, right? Here, Joseph is using his divine gift for others and himself. So it's kind of a hybrid, hoping to get out of prison. The cupbearer, of course, as we said, doesn't remember to tell Pharaoh about Joseph because his time for deliverance has not yet arrived. The third dream is Pharaoh's, which Joseph interprets in order to save Egypt and all the surrounding nations around her from famine. The third time, notice what Joseph says to Pharaoh after he interprets it. This is from Genesis 41. Now, as for repeating Pharaoh's dream twice, it's because the matter has been settled by God and God will quickly make it happen. So now let the Pharaoh select a man discerning and wise and set him in authority over the land of Egypt. Did you catch that? Let Pharaoh select a man. Not like, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. But this is what it means. This is what's going to happen. I think this is what you should do. There's not a hint of self-promotion here. Why is that? Because Joseph's character, his character journey in this area has come to its conclusion. He has reached maturity in this area. He has submitted his divine gift of dreaming and interpreting dreams fully to God, and therefore he uses it for the blessing of others, not for his own gain. May we seek, all of us, to use the divine gifts of prophecy, compassion, hospitality, healings, counsel, words of knowledge, gifts of faith, perseverance, and joy, gifts of tongues, and languages, and love. Use all of that for the benefit of others and the submitted service, avodah, of the Lord. Now, where were we with our Jewish Christmas song search? Hmm. How about a song that replaces the lyrics and just talks about Hanukkah instead? Do you think that would do it? No? Well, let's check it out. This is from statenislandlive.com. Quote, Ironically, Jews such as lyricist Irving Berlin of White Christmas wrote some of the best-known Christmas songs, said Roy Moskowitz of Congregation B'nai Jeshurun, West Brighton. A ubiquitous holiday song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, has been spoofed countless times, including attempts at producing Eight Days of Hanukkah, sung to the Twelve Days tune, as Moskowitz has done. Moskowitz's version is this. 
On the first day of Hanukkah, my true love sent to me, Yehuda Maccabee. That's pretty good, right? Unquote. So is this the most Jewish Christmas song? Well, it's got one strike against it. It's an imposter. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, my. (laughs) Thank you for the sound effect there, Roberto. That was very helpful. I'm just sad that I don't think the mic picked that up. (laughs) It's an imposter. It's just posing as a Hanukkah song when in reality, it is not. It is an imposter. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Sometimes being an imposter is done for a purpose, though, in the Bible. But the truth of identity is always revealed at the right time. Joseph... When he meets his brothers, he's seen as a foreign Gentile king. He pretends that he doesn't know the language that they speak. He doesn't understand, but he does understand. This causes his brothers to speak honestly in front of him. This is what happens in Genesis 42. Reuben answered them and said, didn't I tell you, don't sin against the boy, but you didn't listen. Now... See how his blood is now being accounted for. They did not know that Joseph was listening since there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. When he turned back to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and tied him up before their eyes because he was continuing this test of their character. Similarly, many Jews today think of Yeshua, Jesus, as some Gentile king a savior for the Gentiles, but not for us. Often Yeshua is presented this way, even in the historic church, sadly. His Jewishness is erased, forgotten or ignored. But Yeshua will and is revealing his true nature to his brothers and sisters, just like Joseph did. Yeshua is revealing his Jewishness and his salvation to his brothers and sisters, the Jewish people. I personally am one of the first fruits of this promise, of this picture. Yeshua will say, like Joseph did, to his Jewish brothers, I am your brother who some of you rejected, but I came to bring salvation and forgiveness. May we have a heart to pastorally share the Jewish Yeshua with our Jewish brothers and sisters, that he would reveal his Jewish identity and his salvation to them, just like Joseph did. I strongly believe that the Joseph story is a picture of what God wants to do in this generation. What God wants to do in Richmond, Virginia, what God wants to do through Tikvat Israel, through our loving witness. So that's not the most Jewish Christmas song, okay? Perhaps the most Jewish Christmas song is actually a hymn written by two men. One was Jewish and the other was atheist. This is a suggestion from Rabbi Stuart Dowerman which he posted recently, quote, 
You probably know that White Christmas was written by a certain Jew named Irving Berlin. See, there he is again. But did you know this? O Holy Night has a controversial, albeit intriguing history. The dissensions attached to it can be connected with two distinct facts. Placide Capot, the lyricist being an atheist, and Adolf Adams, the composer, being a Jew. Neither were so-called church regulars, which created a controversy among the church authorities. Although O Holy Night was initially incorporated and accepted into Christmas services, its atheist Jewish origin was soon discovered. The carol was subsequently declared unsuitable for Christmas services and received an immense amount of flack for lack of musical flavor and the stark absence of religious spirit. The lyrics focused on humanity and championed humility. The fact that all men and women can have souls was considered to be highly radical at the time. The Catholic Church tried its best to bury the song and somewhat succeeded. However, the English translation by John Sullivan Dwight revived it focusing on the universality of the human spirit. Dwight's version quickly became famous in the United States of America due to the ongoing civil war. Feel free to sing with me. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining Till he appeared, gift of infinite worth A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn Fall on your knees, oh hear the angel voices, oh night, divine, oh night, when Messiah was born, oh night, oh night, oh night, oh night divine. The point of this story is to remember that God can work in and through those who don't yet follow him. This was written by an atheist and a Jewish person. That was not a Messianic Jew. The Pharaoh that promoted Joseph in the Joseph story and listened to his counsel, he wasn't following the Lord, but the Lord used him. Without him, what happens? Joseph is still stuck in prison. God is sovereign over all people and all things. It doesn't mean everyone or everything is good and godly, but it does mean that God can use anyone or anything for his purpose, even if it has pagan origins. This Pharaoh that helped Joseph had pagan origins. Abraham, remember him? He had pagan origins. Ruth and Rahab had pagan origins, and they are in the lineage of Yeshua. Judging someone or something based on their origin is called prejudice. It means prejudging. And it's what plagued Peter in Acts chapter 10. Peter could not imagine 
in his brain that non-Jews with pagan origins would be able to become legitimate followers of Yeshua. They could be children of God. Here is Peter's realization in Acts 10 after seeing a vision of strange things and the Lord telling him to take that and eat it. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found many people gathered. He said to them, you yourselves know that it is not permitted for a Jewish man to associate with a non-Jew or visit him. That's just a, a custom that they had. Yet God has shown me that I should call no one unholy or unclean. So I came without objection when I was sent for. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, I truly understand that God is not one to show favoritism. I kind of like the King James version of this. You might know it. God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, proclaiming peace, shalom, through Messiah Yeshua. He is Lord of all. Sometimes in Messianic Judaism, we can get judgy toward the historic church and toward the traditions of the church, like Christmas. I want to encourage us not to do that because prejudice is not godly and it does not show how God can use many things and many people with so-called pagan origin for a holy and godly purpose. It takes away from the sovereignty of God when we do that. One way to fight prejudging is through understanding and context, compassion, and humility. These are the lessons from the story of Joseph and for our quest for the most Jewish Christmas song. Let us seek to submit our divine gifts to the Lord and use them for the blessing of others and not for our own benefit and not before their time. Let us seek to avoid prejudging other people and traditions and instead seek to understand how God is sovereign over and works through the historic church, just as he is sovereign over and works through the Jewish people. He's the same God. He does the same thing. And let us pray for and share with our own Jewish people the Jewishness of Yeshua and the salvation in Yeshua. What Joseph shared with his brothers, he's not a Gentile king. He's, he's our brother. He's our guy. And some of us missed it. But he's revealing himself to us. Yeshua says, like Joseph, I'm actually your brother. I'm not a foreign ruler, and I'm here to save you. Even though some of you rejected me, I am drawing near to you, and I'm forgiving you, and I want to have a close relationship with you. And this brings us to what I believe is the most Jewish Christmas song, because it fully embraces the Jewish people and Yeshua's place among them. Now, I wrote this sermon, and I finished it yesterday, and then I checked the service notes, this little guide for the service. And when I checked that, and I wrote that down and wrote all the songs that were being put, I saw that the worship team had planned to sing, <laughs> O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It was not, well, I didn't talk to Breno, I didn't, we didn't plan that beforehand. And so when I arrived here this morning, I said to Breno and Rachel, would you guys be able to play this song again? Because I think this is the most Jewish Christmas song that we have. 
So if you guys would like to sing this with me to close out the sermon, I think we can do that. And let's not only sing it, but let's believe it. Because we, what we're doing here is we're interceding that Israel, the Jewish people, would come to know, would come to see what we have seen, what we have seen, and that we would be able to share that with them, but they would see it. And that it's not some weird thing. It's actually the most Jewish thing you can do is to follow Yeshua. Amen? All right. You'll notice there's a, another verse that I put that uh, I think uh, Rachel said she wanted to do that is uh, especially really cool because it talks about Mount Sinai. So we're going to do that verse as well. Avinu, our Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to the Jewish people. We pray that you would help us to share the Jewishness of Yeshua and uh, the salvation of Yeshua with our brothers and sisters in a way that's winsome, in a way that's, that's kind and compassionate with uh, reverence and humility, as it says in 1 Peter 3, 15. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you're helping us to use our divine gifts for your glory and for the good of others. 
um, and that you're shaping us and molding us and your faithfulness. And we thank you, Lord, that you're sovereign over the historic church as you are sovereign over the Jewish people. And we thank you for your kingship and your faithfulness to us. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. <laughs>